0: Standing beside me is my grandson, Cameron. And that's about all I'm going to have to say. God has laid upon his heart to share with you something that he has been working on for quite a while. And I'm just here to remind my daughter, Deb, back there to make sure you record this. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Grandpa. Good morning, everyone. Um, For those that haven't asked me this morning, I am very nervous to be up here. Um, I saw my good friend Julia Fleece last night. She reminded me I've never been very good at public speaking, so (laughs) thanks for that. Um, So yeah, I'm a bit nervous considering this is my first sermon, but actually I'm a bit nervous going to church anyway. I know that sounds a little weird, but I feel like if I explain, you guys might be able to relate a little bit. I always get a little bit nervous because part of me worries that when I sit out there where you're sitting, Ben or whoever comes up here is going to preach and is basically going to tell me I'm doing everything wrong. You know what I mean? Like I need to turn my entire life around. I feel like we've all been there. You know, we we come to church. It's a regular Sunday morning and, you know, we wake up and we get ready and just throw that Christian game face on and head to church, right? No matter what happened earlier that week, that day, you know, you just get ready. You go to church. Maybe maybe you woke up late, you were running late to church this morning and I got you upset, or maybe your kids were misbehaving in the car, or maybe you spilled coffee on the first shirt you tried to wear this morning, or something happened that puts you in a bad mood. But none of that matters anymore because now you're here. Right now you're at church. So now it's time to put on your best smile, and be nice to everybody for the next hour or so, or hour and a half to two hours of Ben's preaching, here. you know, you never know. <laughs> and you just gotta be nice to everybody until you finally get to walk back out those doors. And, you know, go home, go watch the game, or go out to eat with your family, whatever it is you do after church. But then something happens that makes it not quite like a regular Sunday morning, you know? You know, the preacher begins to speak, and then things start to sound familiar. Then they start to sound really familiar. And then it's like the preacher's reading your mind, you know, speaking directly into your heart the whole time. So maybe, for example, earlier this week, you and a coworker got into it because of something they said or did to you at work. And you kind of, you know, you really, you really let him know if you were upset, right? You really got after him and kind of yelled at him a little bit. And maybe you, know, you realize now that it was the wrong thing to do, but you did it nonetheless. And then you go to church on Sunday and you hear a sermon maybe about patience or about forgiveness. Or Maybe earlier on in the week you yelled at your kid for no good reason. You, you know, they were just being kids and at the time it annoyed you. <laughs> Becky, yeah, I know you can relate. <clears throat> and, you, and you just really ripped into them, really let him have it. And now you realize it was wrong, but again, you did it nonetheless, and then Sunday, you go and hear a sermon about patience, or maybe about what it takes to be a good parent. Those sermons are uh, they're pretty nerve-wracking, right? I mean, they, they kind of get to you. As nerve-wracking as those are, I, I have to admit, I think I'm a bit more nervous to be up here right now. But it is good to finally be up here, and Ben, thanks for taking the week off. Elders, thank you for allowing me to do this. Well, I can't promise you a super-convicting, gut-wrenching sermon like one of those, I can't promise you one thing, and that's truth, at least something close to it. Truth. What is truth, right? That's one of life's biggest questions. No, what is truth? You probably ask a hundred different people that question and end up with a hundred different answers. You now, go ask your pastor. Go ask an educated Christian friend. What is truth? What is real, important, genuine truth that everybody should know? Hopefully, you'll end up with the right answer, or at least something close to it. See, the thing about truth is that in most cases, there's not just one definitive, straightforward truth, right? In any set of information, any situation, there's things that are true and things that are false. There's things that are partially true, partially false. There's things that can be true for me, but not necessarily true for you. There are even things that can be true, but not be the full truth. You know what I mean? Things that are 100% true, nothing false about them, but they're not the complete truth, not the full picture. Let me give you an example one thing that is definitely true is that everybody in this room is a dreadful sinner in desperate need of repentance. That's the truth. And those are the two things I want to preach on today, truth and repentance, or true repentance, or the truth of repentance, however you want to phrase it. See, there are at least three questions that must be answered in order for you to have a better understanding of what it means to truly repent. Number one, simply, what is repentance? We should probably define the word we're going to talk about, right? What is Repentance. What is the literal definition of repentance and what does it really look like to truly repent? Number two, who needs it? Who needs repentance? Probably skipped this one, I can tell you, I already told you once, everybody in this room needs it. And number three, what comes after repentance? In my opinion, this might be one of, the most important question of the three because I feel like a lot of people have the wrong idea of what repentance is. A lot of people think repentance is the end goal, the end of their story. But I'm here to tell you the exact opposite. Repentance is the very beginning of your Christian life with Jesus. We'll get into that later. Start with the first question. What is repentance? And for this, you four that I talked to before service, you guys could come up. Drake Chase Tyler. Or Drake, uh, Caleb Tyler, Zach. And while they're making their way up here, I want to make something very clear to you. The word repent, like the definition of it literally, it does not have just one part to its definition. There's two equally important, some might even argue that the second part of the definition is more important than the other. Do any of you know what the definition of the word repent is? Drake, go ahead. Turn away from. That's true, to turn away from. That's true, but that's not the full truth. That's the point I was trying to make earlier. See, it's not just to turn away from something, more specifically in our case, in the Christian sense, to turn away from evil, to turn away from sin, but it's to turn towards something better. Something good. Something like Jesus. Both parts of the definition are so very important to understand, otherwise, you may never truly repent. Let me give you a little demonstration. Tyler, come here. Come here. <laughs> just, just stand here, face out that way. All right? Caleb, you practice this. Yeah, stand right here, face that way. Drake, stand where you're at, face that way. Zach, you come back here. You face the wall. I'm going to give you a few examples of sin, nothing too serious, like Tyler's not going to be like a serial killer or Caleb run a drug cartel, nothing like that, although if those sins do apply to you, this still, listen. Like you this, still, this still applies to you, okay? So Tyler here has a drinking problem. Can any of you relate to that? Maybe not you personally, but someone may have popped into your mind, right? Yes, Ty, I know you don't drink, but for the sake of this example... So Tyler spends all of his time and his money at the bars, right? When he's not at the bars, spending his money on alcohol there, he's at the supermarkets, the, the liquor stores, grocery stores, wherever he can go so he can stock up his fridge at home. He's spending all of his time and his money there. When he's not drinking, he gets angry. He gets irritable. All these things come together, and they affect his relationship at home with his wife and his kids. And I know he doesn't have a wife and kids, Savannah. There's no other woman, grandma, grandpa. You're not missing out on any grandchildren. <laughs> nothing like that. Don't worry. But for the sake of this example, he's got a wife and kids. Caleb has a gambling addiction. And with gambling addiction comes an issue of greed, right? Because why do we gamble? Because we're greedy for more. Caleb, like Tyler, spends all of his time away from home. All of his time and money goes towards the casinos. He's addicted to the thrill of gambling. He's obsessed with trying to win more money. That's his only life goal. And like Tyler, this begins to affect his relationship at home with his family because he's not spending any time with them. And the time he does spend with them is kind of difficult because he's out spending all of his money and he's not really winning much back. Now, Drake has an issue with pride. His is more internal. Anyone relate to that one? I know I can. Drake has an issue with pride. Whenever Drake walks into a room, he's got to let everybody know that he's there. He's got to be the center of attention. In fact, when he's not the center of attention, face the wall. When 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 Drake's not the center of attention, Drake gets upset, gets a little jealous. He might even just walk out because he thinks he's more worthy of everyone's attention than anybody else. See, the problem with these three is they all have their focus in the wrong direction. See, Tyler lives his life looking for his next fix of alcohol. He doesn't worry about anyone or anything else other than his next drink. Caleb lives his life looking for earthly wealth, material possessions. Doesn't worry about anyone or anything else other than his next dollar. And Drake lives his life just looking at himself. It's like he spends every single day of his life just staring directly into a mirror, because that's where all his focus is anyway. But see, there's a fourth person here, and I haven't forgot about Zach back here. If you notice, these three, they're all standing here. They're facing towards you, towards the rest of the world. That's where their focus is. But Zach has it figured out. I mean, I may have helped him out a little bit, but Zach's got it figured out. See, Zach's eyes, Zach's focus are fixed on the cross, on Jesus. Let's pretend all four of these guys go to church. It shouldn't be that difficult. All four of them are right here in church in front of you. They go to church, they hear a bad sermon about repentance And in this sermon They only hear the first part of the definition Of what it means to repent They only hear it's to turn away from I guess the preacher forgot to preach the good news of Jesus that morning So they decide, he's right, I'm going to listen anyway They need to turn away from their sins Tyler turns away from his alcohol But once he turns away from his alcohol He realizes he spent all of his money on alcohol So Tyler takes what little he has left And he takes it to the casinos So he can try to win more Maybe he wins the first couple times, wins a, few, wins a few dollars back. And just like that, Tyler's addicted. Caleb, before he heard the sermon, he finally won big, finally hit the jackpot. And Caleb's so proud of what he did, in case you can't tell by the look on his face. He's so proud of what he did, he wants everyone else to be just as proud of him as he is of himself. So now he's over here with Drake. He's got an issue with pride. Drake hears the sermon, and he decides he's right. I've got to turn away from myself, turn away from my pride. So he does this job, just that, but when he turns around, he realizes there's nobody there. Because after all this time that Drake had been worrying about only himself, he'd been pushing everyone else away. No one's a really big fan of Drake anymore. And because Drake's turned away from himself, he's not really a big fan of himself either. So Drake, in order to cope with what he feels inside his heart about himself, he turns towards alcohol, because at least he can drink to forget. You you guys starting to see the problem here? See, every single person turned away from their original sin, but they turned towards something just as bad, if not worse. That's why the second part of the definition is so important. It's not just to turn away from one sin, it's to turn towards something better, something good, something like Jesus. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. All right, I want you all to take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. Acts fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, as it's known by its full title, is, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible, and in my opinion, one of the most important books for us to know and to understand. Why? Because the book of Acts is a book about us. It's, church, it's the it's story of us, the church. Acts picks up right where the Gospels leave off, naturally, because it comes right after them. And it begins with Jesus ascending into heaven. That's the first scene we get in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to jump around in the first couple chapters here, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, particularly verses 36 to 39. While you're getting there, I'm going to set the stage for you a little bit. It's been about 10 days or so since Jesus ascended into heaven, most scholars can guess. And it's now time for Pentecost, big Jewish celebration. Jews from all over the world gather in Jerusalem to celebrate, and of course Peter and the, the other 11 disciples are there. And... Earlier on in the chapter, it says that, that the Holy Spirit had arrived at Pentecost, Miracles began happening, people began speaking in tongues Everyone from all around the world was speaking to each other And understanding each other in their own native languages Even though none of them spoke the same language Some of these people heard this and they believed By the end of the chapter It says that 3,000 added to their number that day Can you imagine that? 3,000 people baptized in the name of Jesus All on the same day Some other people heard this and They thought these guys were crazy They said, they said Now these guys have just had too much to drink They've had too much wine Peter stands up with the other 11 disciples and he says, he says, men, don't be fooled. These these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And then that leads Peter on to a big sermon. And uh, he's nearing the end of it in verse 36 when he says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, this brings us to our second question. Who needs repentance? Peter answers it for us throughout all four of those verses. See, Peter says that it was you who killed Jesus. He says, you. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. It was you and me who killed Jesus. It's because of us that Jesus was put on the cross. And he's no longer just talking to the early believers. He goes on in verse 38 and 39. He says that the promise for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for you and for your children. If you don't know this about the time, children didn't just refer to direct descendants. See, all Jews are known as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though those men lived hundreds of years before this event took place. If you don't think that includes you, he goes on. He says, for all who are far off. According to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you. In case you need a little more convincing, he goes on one more time. He says, For all whom the Lord our God will call. Maybe you've received that call already, maybe not. If you haven't, I can promise you, God's going to call you one day, every single one of you. He's got a special mission for all of you to advance his kingdom. Peter's talking to all of us. Jesus died for you, for us, for all of us, and because of us. But that's not the end of the story. Friends, here's the good news. Death couldn't hold Jesus. Earlier on in the same sermon, Peter says, Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Ben Franklin, a guy I'm sure many of you are familiar with, has a very famous quote. He says, there are two things certain in life, death and taxes. Our Savior Jesus overcame both of them. Both of them. You may be wondering, how did he overcome taxes? Some of you guys are laughing about it. How did he overcome taxes? He lived in the Roman Empire. Of course, he paid taxes. Everybody paid taxes. But we know from the Gospels, from his ministry, that Jesus didn't really care about those things, right? If you remember the scene with, with him and the, and the um, religious leaders, they asked what, what he thought about taxes, right? He gave him a coin. He said, whose face is on the coin? They said, Caesar's. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. See, we know from Jesus' ministry, he didn't care about earthly wealth. He didn't care about money, none of that. See, whenever Jesus called one of his disciples to follow him, what did the Gospels say? It said they gave away everything to follow him. And throughout his entire ministry, what does it say? It says they were given away all the time, given to the needy. That was Jesus' ministry, giving and forgiving. That was his ministry. Jesus didn't care about that stuff. So in a sense, Jesus overcame taxes, right? Because he didn't really care when he gave the money away. But that's not the important one. See, Jesus... Jesus overcame death itself. Jesus, just a few days after we put him on the cross, Jesus rolled the stone away. He got up out of his grave. He declared, I am Lord. And Jesus rose from the dead. I feel like there should be a lot more and a lot more amens, you know? <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died in the worst way possible at the time. He was beaten. He was flogged. His flesh was torn from his body. And then he was hung on a cross for hours. Hung on a cross by nails. His arms outstretched. He for hours until he couldn't even raise his body up to get one more breath excruciating pain a humiliating death but then on the third day Jesus rose from the dead he rose from the dead and then 40 days later Jesus ascended into heaven after picking up right where he left off teaching his disciples giving them their mission preparing them for the mission he was going to give to them after he left into heaven Friends, I say repent. Repent in Jesus' name, as Peter says in chapter 2, verse 38. Your sins will be forgiven. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's not it. No, that's not the end of your story. That brings us to our third question. What comes after repentance? (sighs) See, And as, as, I guess I didn't say it earlier, I'm a student at Ozark Christian College for those of you that don't know. And at Ozark, all freshmen are required to take a class in the book of Acts. Now my course description for this class is it's, it's an exegetical study on the book of Acts that considers the expansion of Christianity in the earliest days of the church. For those unfamiliar with the term exegetical, what that means is that we took a really deep dive into the book of Acts. We studied it very closely, sometimes even down to individual words. In my class in particular, my professor, Michael DeFazio, who some of you are familiar with. And if you're not, I hope you are someday. I hope you get the chance to meet him. You could all learn a lot from him. He focuses on one particular word in the first couple of weeks. It's in the very first verse of the book of Acts. That word is began. Began. Yeah, you're good. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, that's who he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit—another important part we'll get back to—through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. See that word began. It can be so easily overlooked, so easily missed. But if you take that word out, I think you miss the whole point of the verse. See, with that word began, we find the answer to our third question. With that word began, we find that Jesus began our mission for us. Jesus began this whole thing that would one day be known as Christianity. Jesus laid the foundation. He set the example. So now our mission as Christians, all of our mission, is to be the continuation of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Every single one of us were called to repeat what Jesus did, to do what Jesus did, to allow Jesus to continue what he did through us. But how can we do that? I mean, Jesus was God, right? How can we ever do what Jesus did? How can we ever amount to the work of Jesus? The answer to that is in verse 2, and that's why I included it, through the Holy Spirit. See, I think Luke is very intentional about recording those words through the Holy Spirit. Because I think Luke remembered what Peter said 10 days later at Pentecost. I think Luke remembered that Peter said if we repent in Jesus' name and be baptized, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke wants us to tie that together. He's saying that the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that he instructed us and guided us and led us with is the same Holy Spirit that can belong to you. But what does that mean? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? In the same Acts class I had an assignment. We had to read the entire book of Acts and highlight every mention of the Holy Spirit. By the end of it, we were supposed to be able to come up with an outline for our doctrine of the Holy Spirit By doing this assignment, I came up with a few different characteristics, a few different words, at least in the context of Acts, that I thought summed up what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The one I want to share with you today is this. The Holy Spirit is our enabler. I don't know if that's a real word, to be honest with you, but he's our enabler. The Holy Spirit enables us to do the work that God commands us to do. If you go back to Acts, I guess we're in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is talking to his disciples about when they receive the Holy Spirit, and he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? Should have, because I emphasized the word. Jesus said, with the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, power to do the work that God has in store for you. That's his promise to his disciples. And then one chapter later, his disciples promise us the same thing, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus now fills us that same power, that same Holy Spirit, I now promise to you, every single one of you. If you haven't heard anything else, I want you to hear this. Please listen. No matter your sins, no matter where you're at in life, the Holy Spirit can live within you. It can. The Holy Spirit wants to live within you. It wants so badly to sit on the throne of your heart. It can and it will if you let it. It'll change your life. Some of you are probably thinking there's no way. There's no way. You've done too much. You've gone too far with your sins to ever reconcile with God. There's no way that God could ever use you to do his kingdom work. But friends, you're wrong. If you believe that, you're wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. See, Jesus paid the price so that those things might be possible. Jesus died on the cross for you, and then he rose from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven. He said it's better for you that he leaves so that you might receive the advocate, the Holy Spirit, so that you might be... thoroughly equipped to do God's work. That's the truth. I'm going to leave you with this. Oh, and you guys can come on up. Jesus died for you, every single one of you. That's the truth. But that's not the full truth. See, Jesus died for you on the cross, and three days later, Jesus rolled the stone away. He got up out of the grave. He did that for you too. Then 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven. He left you with your mission. So now it's our turn to fulfill that mission given to us by Jesus 2,000 years ago. We must repent, turn away from our sin, turn towards something better. Turn towards Jesus. Live your life for Him. Everybody in this room has some kind of sin they need to turn away from. Can you do it? Will you turn away from your sin? Better yet, what will you turn towards?